Welcome to another exciting episode of NIDS Knowledge, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. Each week, we inform you about a deterrence topic and its value in preserving peace. We hope you enjoy this show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is your host, Jim Petrosky on the NIDS Podcasting Network. I hope you find this show informative and entertaining as you think deterrence. Today is the second episode covering the concept of nuclear fallout, the first being episode 55, which was a riveting and informative episode where I discussed how materials become radioactive during the detonation of a nuclear weapon, partly from the nuclear fuel as it fissions and create fission fragments that are unstable. These fragments radiate energy until they become stable. Also, materials near the detonation are bombarded with neutrons from the bomb during the detonation. The atoms absorb the neutrons, making them unstable and thus radioactive. And lastly, Freddie Murkowski is no longer in the minor league and his last Facebook post on my high school graduation page states that he suffered some sort of hand injury and joined a polka band performing at weddings. If this last comment makes no sense to you, you'll need to review episode 55, and it was truly riveting. For the sake of clarity, I restate that atoms, specifically the nucleus of the atoms, are radioactive because they are releasing energy and continue to do so until they become a stable, non-radioactive atom in a process known as decaying. You've probably heard of this as radioactive decay. Literally, atoms changing from one elemental configuration to another. Yeah, nuclear engineers are the ultimate successful alchemists. And yes, there's a probability that an isotope of gold is created in the process. Also during the process, the atoms change form. So sometimes the material is solid, like tungsten, and sometimes it's a gas, like argon, making this process extremely difficult to follow. Depending on a specific atom and its configuration, and some incredibly complex nuclear physics, the rate at which the energy is released in radioactive decay varies, sometimes very quickly, and sometimes over very long periods of time, like billions of years. Scientists have developed a way of comparing various radioactive materials by how fast they emit their energy, by describing the time it takes until the original amount has been reduced or decayed to half its original. This is called the half-life. As an example, if I have two ounces of material in my hand with a one-hour half-life, I will only have one ounce of that material in my hand after an hour passes. Interestingly, this is like what happens to my wallet when I'm at the mall. This leads to two important conclusions. Number one, those atoms with a short half-life emit radiation at a higher rate than those with a long half-life for the same quantity of material, and thus are removed at a higher rate than the long half-life atoms. So as time passes, radiation is reduced. Number two, atoms eventually become stable, and thus the total number of radiating atoms from the detonation is reduced. So, as time passes, radiation is reduced. Combining these two important conclusions, you can conclude, listen carefully, as time passes, 
radiation is reduced. Wow, isn't scientific reasoning easy? Measurements from many nuclear weapon tests and scientific studies confirm this result, and there is an easy rule of thumb way to determine the amount of radiation backed up by years of research for nuclear fallout called the 710 rule. Simply put, for every seven time units that pass the radiation rate in the same time units, falls by a factor of 10, the original amount divided by 10. To provide a simple example, consider the threshold effect of vomiting from high doses of radiation, which occurs for 50% of the people exposed to 200 rem of radiation. This is according to the New York Department of Health. Suppose, following a nuclear event, you emerge from your shelter and have an instrument that shows that you are receiving 200 rem per hour. That's the rate of radiation. So that after one hour of exposure, you might be part of the 50% of the population that gets to vomit. Oh, fun. However, if you wait seven hours to leave your shelter, you will need to wait 10 hours before you get to vomit. As a side note to you calculus people out there, I'm ignoring radiation reduction during exposure because this is a simple example. So get over it. The reduction, though, has important implications regarding how you might respond to a nuclear detonation as it may be safer to remain in a sheltered place and allow the radiation to decay before traversing an area covered by fallout. But there are other factors that cannot be discussed in this short show, especially when I must add my corny jokes. Another important factor in the fallout is what is referred to as transport. During the detonation, the local weather environment, that area right around the nuclear weapon, controls the result of the transport of radiation because it's, you know, sunny and bright with a high of 27,000 Celsius with low to mid mushroom clouds. And it results in the dust and debris being lifted by the hot air, aka the fireball, and it lifts it high into the atmosphere. This debris field not only is being reduced by radioactive decay, but the material continuously spreads out like a coffee stain on a white shirt and is pushed around by the winds. So as the fireball cools, the debris particles begin to condense, just like rain or snow, but at different temperatures. And when they are heavy enough, they fall to the ground. The ones that cool first, fall first. And those that are very small can remain in the atmosphere for long times and be transported very long distances. So what is the takeaway from this rather riveting show? First, fallout is a very complex concept. Making predictions about its impact requires a substantial amount of science and study. Second, and most importantly, your exposure is highly dependent upon your situation and your response. Ignoring a person's response can get you very far off in what might happen, for example, vomiting or not vomiting, when you do a study of what could happen following a radiation detonation. And lastly, if you're going to play second base, don't forget to tag the runner.
Thank you for listening to NIDS Knowledge. This show is produced under the NIDS Podcasting Network, a division of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. NIDS is a 501c3 organization dependent upon donations to provide this podcast and bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. You can catch all of our podcasts or provide feedback at thinkdeterrence.com. I would like to thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative NIDS knowledge. A production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies.